The Anchism Podcast, brought to you by our proud sponsor, Kixinto. As Canada's premium reseller of authentic sneakers, Kixinto offers free shipping in Canada and the USA. With a wide selection of the most exclusive Jordans, Yeezys, and other premium products, you can trust Kixinto for all your sneaker needs. Don't miss out on the latest drops and limited releases. Visit their website at www.kixinto.ca to shop now and step up your sneaker game. Today on the podcast, we have got Matthew Franz, a lecturer in business management and someone who is an entrepreneur, an author, and someone who really motivates people to talk about business and how to start your own. Having you on the podcast is sort of my own personal interest as well, because I want to learn about entrepreneurship. So I have always sort of had that interest in business and doing something of my own and building a brand. First of all, congratulations on your book. Thank you. And I'm really happy that I got a copy as well. Can we show the... Yeah, it's... An entrepreneur's story, my journey, seen it, done it, got the t-shirt. Do you want to show it in front of the camera? <laughs> so, yeah, very proud of this. So it's, it's all self-published. I've designed the, all the copy, the, the cover, etc. So yeah, I've used a push on Amazon. It's been a huge learning experience as well. I've done it in eight weeks, literally all over the summer during my holidays. And what has been brilliant is, is using technology. So everybody now has these wonderful smartphones and I'm sure it's the same on Android. With Apple, it's got notes. And if you talk into it, it types. <laughs> I literally went on hours walking, talking, which wrote the chapters very, very quickly. And then I had to edit it. So. It's been a great experience for me. Yeah. I'm using it to learn more and gain more experience and knowledge that I can share with my students. So I'm now in the process of trying to promote it. And I really do appreciate being invited onto the podcast. And it's interesting seeing now getting reviews in. I've had all really positive and one in particular, which really touched my heart and was the whole purpose of why I wrote the book. Talk to me about your childhood. How was it growing up and where did you grow up? I was born in Leyland, but we moved very quickly. So I don't actually remember any time there. Um, my father has always been in business and he became a director of a, a very large company. And so throughout my childhood, I had a very much been influenced seeing my dad go to work. He was away a lot. He was, do he was working very hard. He was quite a strong disciplinarian and he was very competitive so if we play board games i was brought up in a competitive environment i was brought up i suppose what people would say today is in a very traditional way a traditional family my mum was very much a stay at home uh, and sort of looked after us where my dad went and, and brought the money and, and i was very lucky that i sometimes it, it felt as if oh i'm being a bit it's a bit harsh i'm being treated harshly or you know my friends are doing lots of things or and i'm not allowed to do it. i've got to go to bed by certain times and things like that but when you look back on it you i really appreciate those values and that discipline that he instilled in me um and my mother who was just a truly wonderful person um had such a wonderful heart um and she 
she gave me the softer side and the soft skills, if you like, of how to get on with people and, and to care for people. And I'm sort of a mix of these, these two wonderful characters of this business, very ambitious driven individual with strong discipline and this really loving person who is really caring. And I've had that, that mix. And I think that's helped me massively in my whole career. But again, my dad instilled real strong values. He would never spoil us. There was, it wasn't, I would never dare ask for anything. And I always remember when I, I worked in the factory where my dad was the boss at, and the first week, I think I had got 36 pounds and I'm sure he took 18 pounds rent. <laughs> so was he instilling the habits of, you know, you have to pay your own Massively, of... massively. So working at your dad's factory was your first sort of experience, your first sort of job? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I used to cl clean the car um, and sort of do the odd house chore as well. Um, and I'd done a bit of sweeping in a, in a factory on a, on a weekend, but that was my first real experience of working a full week in, my, in the in summer holidays. Um, and he instilled into me as well, there's an expectation that I would go to college, I would then go to university, and then I would have a career. And so from a very early age, that was in my head. And from a very early age, probably I would say 12 or 13, I knew I was going to go into business. When was the, what was the age when you started working at the factory? Probably 14, I think it was. But I had a very clear, I, you know, he would read the Financial Times and I would start looking at share prices and reading the business pages, even at that age. So I am didn't realise it at the time, but I'm, I'm surrounded and, and getting an interest in business. And of course, I looked up to my father, as many sons do, and if he was saying do this, he, he did say, well, you know, you should become an accountant because that was guaranteed good money. That that wasn't int interesting to me. I was a Thatcher's child. So I was in an environment where it was very much go get what you want and be ambitious. The world's your oyster and very much this materialistic society. And I just wanted to be a millionaire. <laughs> That was my initial thought. I said, and I actually said, I'm going to be a millionaire by the time I'm 40. Unfortunately, I didn't make that. But uh, is it not right to have those sort of goals when you are pursuing something? But coming back to your journey, what was your first business like? Well, my first business um, was in a summer holiday. I was at college. And I, I don't know where it came from as with, I think, with many entrepreneurs where these ideas come from, but I had access to my sister's car and I did a deal with her and she said, well, if you take me to work and pick me up, you can have use of the car. Because although she had a car, she didn't particularly like driving. And that gave me the idea. I'd wash, been washing my dad's car on a regular basis. So I thought, well, rather than go and work in a factory, which was really fairly unpleasant, it was hard work why don't I be my own boss and start my own business? So I actually set up my first business, which was a mobile car balloting service. So I was very fortunate. I had access to a personal computer, which was an Acorn BBC at that time. 
my dad was 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 very much into them and he showed me how to write uh, on a word processing piece of software and I wrote out some leaflets he got them printed out out for me and I went posting them on doors and again I then knocked on those doors and said you know I posted a leaflet did you see it which is what we do today on social media but just post so it's just the same exactly the same principle and then of course that's my friends my dad's friends my friends dads do you want your car washing and I established a, a good set of clientele that meant that I could earn reasonable money to fund what I wanted to do work almost when I wanted to although I didn't it needed to work at weekends um, <clears throat> so that was a, I suppose an inconvenience but it, I, it, I, I, it was just what you needed to do and it gave me that such amazing experience of planning organizing buying all the materials delivering the service liaising with the customer and I suppose it was a first example of me understanding market segmentation so when when I thought I've got these leaflets where shall I post them I didn't go down all the terraced houses where many of the people didn't have cars and possibly didn't have the money to pay someone else to do them I went into the the posh areas with the big gardens with the big exec cars and that's where I got the customers so, so again the, a simple logic is and we teach lots of theory about segmentation and these principles which great learn and understand them but your only common sense will tell you give you a good guide and I carried on that business through my college years to the first two years and uh, before I went to university and it allowed me to work at weekends when I wanted and gave me huge satisfaction but this is where the opportunity was huge of what I didn't realize what I'd actually done until I went to university and did a sandwich degree and I remember sitting in front of Marks and Spencer who were interviewing for a six-month placement and of course they asked the traditional questions well tell me about yourself or give us an example of how you faced adversity or give us an example where you've showed initiative and so I just told them well I set up a business and, I, and this is what I did and how I did it and they go wow here's the job because you're doing it and I would encourage any student to just do it and the the learnings that you get are so valuable when you if you don't want to carry on your business is that when you go for an interview you you're saying you've you've set it up you've shown up so many skills that the employers are looking for and so that was my first business and but I again I, instead of seeing the opportunity that which I missed at the time I was driving around in my sister's car going and washing and waxing and doing the interiors of car, my friends cars and other customers there was not a I'd in that where we I lived in Nelson there wasn't a drive-through hand car wash there was the automatic ones but there wasn't there wasn't any of the hand car washes now I don't know whether that was uh, across the country if I'd been if I loved what I did maybe I would have seen that as an opportunity and had a, a national chain of car washes and, and car washing drive-throughs but again you said in the book as well that you learn from the failure and as an entrepreneur you know that failure is going to be constant 
and it can be at all ages all stages until you get it right and in the process of getting right you actually don't know what you're doing you just keep doing the thing and then things just work out you have worked with you know big brands like tesco aldi marks and spencers in those 25 years how did the teaching come about what was that like what was the switch to teaching so i share this with with my students it's and carl jung described four stages of life that we go through and stage 1 is it is when we're just looking in the mirror we're preening ourselves we're we're going to the gym and we're we're look, trying to look the best we can look stage 2 is when you want to take over the world you're really ambitious you you want the big house the big car you want the flash holidays flash watches and all this kind of thing stage 3 is when you realize none of that makes you happy and what makes you happy is helping and serving others and then stage 4 is a spiritual stage when you realize that this body is just a vessel carrying your soul now that really resonates with me because i i can identify each stage that i've literally gone through and when i was at tesco i i joined tesco because i couldn't get a site from my my second business which was nutritious so my intention was to never be there for more than 6 months However, as it transpired, that business wasn't successful and I ended up having to stay in that career because I enjoyed a lot of it. I opened three new stores. I loved working with people and leading big teams and I was good at it. It was a highly competitive environment. I was very competitive. I liked to to perform and achieve and I loved leading people because I and I would describe myself as a servant leader. it was very much i wanted to make the environment that they came to work in the best possible and if it was the best possible environment they would perform the best which would then translate into happy customers who would spend more and would be which would be successful and i and i love that and i do miss elements of that um and from an ego perspective you're the king of the castle in the store and you're running a business huge businesses in a community up to 60 million credit a year turnover So Europe is a significant operation that you're running. But I was bored. That's why I kept opening new stores. And retail has changed in the last 30 years in a lot of ways, but one of the fundamental changes that happened about probably 30, 25, 30 years ago was that a store manager would have a lot of autonomy to make decisions. but as with centralization in most companies to, to gain efficiencies the decision became centralized do you so, think do you think because of influence and power or the ability to make decisions is taken away from you and the approach of these big companies is more centralized it really put you off and then you thought that it's time to switch what I'm doing yeah I was I wasn't intellectually stimulated so I I then went and set my own consultancy with really very little thought it was really to get out of of feeling trapped and I was concerned about where Tesco was going and and and, and I was just repeating myself however it wasn't a straight transition then to teaching I, I actually had 
set up a consulting and work with a couple of independent companies. And now I was approached by a new startup called Fuit, which was very, very exciting. What was it about? It was an, it was an app that enabled a person to play a game, well, like a quiz, for obviously they would have to pay, to win the prize that they wanted to win. And what was really good about it, and, and there is huge potential in this, so anybody who's watching this may go, I'm going to have a go at this, is that it was bringing the customer, when they go to, a, to the, the city centre, to actually have some entertainment shopping, because they could go and scan a barcode of an item that they wanted, or, or multiple items, use the app and try and win them. And if they won, they could take them away. So, and the the people behind it were a big hitters. I mean, the board of directors was had some really really good black people on, on board. It's ex William Hill, um, ex um, B and Q, ex people who who built websites for uh, the likes of a Travelodge, etc. So, really, really impressive people. But again, with all businesses, you can have the best idea but you've got to execute. And during that, com that, ex that experience, I think the, the owner and the founder was influenced too much by other individuals in the company and they weakened the concept and executed it in the wrong way. They should have gone just solely online first because that was less risk. And anyone, and it, the great thing about the, the, the new technology is that you can start a business now and minimize your risk because you can look like a, a multi-million dollar company when you're operating out of your bedroom. So unfortunately, that wasn't successful. And it was, but I then was in a, a, a very, very weak financial situation because I'd actually continued working in this company without getting paid. Uh, and I, I continued to work on a concept that I came up with, which I developed for the gambling industry, which a concept called DreamBet. Now that concept was pure genius. And, so, and someone in the industry said, how on earth have you come up with this? And as with all ideas, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, I believe they're God-given in fairness, I, I think. All my ideas, I'm a very creative person, but I do believe ultimately that God gives them to me. And unfortunately, after six months, I actually developed this concept, but it was a concept. It wasn't even written code. And even though I presented it to a managing director of a major bookmaker on the Isle of Man, who said, it's not often you see a differentiator in the market, but this is one. I was thinking, wow, we, we, this is going to be the big one. Uh, and previously, someone in the industry had offered me, jokingly, I'll give you 35 million for it because it was that it was that major. And um, he said, I'm going to present this to the to my board. But then it all went quiet, uh, and I then contacted him about four weeks later and said, look. You know what's what's happening and he said matthew it's not for us and that set alarm bells off when someone's presenting what they're presenting 
how do they conceptualize their idea how do they keep it for themselves how do they water market trade market that no one else uses did someone else end up using that then yes so literally from the moment that i've told the person in the industry who said i'll give you 35 million for it within a year just under a year <coughs> a very famous um sports book was set up using the concept and this is the, this is one of the major challenges of any entrepreneur who've got ideas it is it, it's very difficult to patent software because you can just tweak the code to get around it and this was a concept that would obviously be a piece of software and it was easily copyable once you once you once you saw the concept anyone with any kind of experience in the industry or and with half a brain could go wow we can tweak that and we can do it this way and and still get the benefits and that's what happened i remember i'd got it I'd got to the point where I I was I was needing I needed to get a job. I needed to go back into industry to earn some decent money because I'd had a lot of bad bad luck if you would you would put it that way if you like. Um I've not earned any money for several months because I've been trying to get this product into marketing and get investment. And I'd accepted a job to go and work in Australia back into retail with Woolworths. The contract I'd signed a contract and that's when i saw the advert for the job at the university of bolton it was like written for me so and that's how i get got into the, the university but in terms of the idea in protection is you don't know what you don't know so when i opened nutrilicious i didn't trademark that name i didn't know what trademarking was because you don't know what you don't know so that that name i now no longer earn own and it's a name that is probably worth something in the future with the software that with the with my concept is i was open to it being stolen without a shadow of a doubt and even though you'll sign ndas it's very hard to prove if someone's had a conversation and that idea's got to the the company then then goes i'm going to do that but we're going to tweak it and these this is the problem so patents are incredibly valuable but you've got to invent something brand new to get a patent and it's a huge cost which is a huge barrier for any entrepreneur and you most entrepreneurs wouldn't have a clue how to go about it and then the amount of money that it does cost i mean i i also invested in a an inventor who had invented a fuel saving device and this was after I'd opened Nutrilicious and so I'd been stung but I still had the, I, you have the bug you never you never lose the entrepreneurial bug and I, I was lucky enough to be introduced I say lucky enough I was introduced to this guy by a friend or a friend and he said look he's come back from America he's got this saving fuel saving device he said it's amazing will you have a chat with him and so I I talked it through with him and inventors it's shunt stereotype but my it's sort of stereotypical image of a inventor is doc doc from back to the future sort of just create slightly crazy got to be slightly crazy to be a genius come up with something brand new but chaotic 
and this inventor met clearly did not have certain skills of planning and organizing and and execution so i decided to support him and i invested and they invested 10 grand i did a good deal where i got a proportion of the sales revenue if the, if we made any and we were lucky enough to get a trial at Lancaster University. So they would put it under test conditions and the, and the results were amazing. Um, I think it was at 30 miles an hour, it, it was showing a, 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 over 50% increase in miles per gallon. So this thing was like, wow, how, how can you not make millions out of this? And he had a patent, so he, he had protection. And of course then, well, how do you then take it from this amazing report to get it into the marketplace? And this is where everyone who goes through life in your career, you, you don't realise, or some, some do, but many don't realise it, the value of all your connections that you're building up and nurturing those connections. Um, just even a Christmas card or a, a hello at Christmas on social media just to keep in their minds and that you, you're keeping a, a contact warm. So I was still working at Tesco at this point and Tesco had started to dip in its performance. So Aldi was started, the 2007 crash had, had, had hit. So every consumer was suddenly going, I need to go to Aldi because I need to save some money. And even our own, many of our own staff were shopping at Aldi. And you know you've got a problem in the business when your own people that work there, even with discount, are shopping in a, a competitor. Um, so I, I knew that the, there was a a hunger to to get savings. And Tesco is a phenomenal business. I mean. It, a lot of my colleagues who've since left Tesco, either they've retired or they left early to, to follow other things, you only realise the training and the skill set that you've got, that how good it is when you then go and work for other companies or organisations. So I thought, right, okay, companies need savings because they, they're under pressure. So I just emailed the chief executive. I was in the store, went and said, dear Phil, I've got this this person I know. Um, he's got this product. This is the report. Over to you. Within a week and a half, the inventor was down in front of the logistics director with a, a representative from the Chamber of Commerce setting up a trial. And the logistics director said, I don't know how the heck you were sat in this chair. This is not normal. But that's me seizing the opportunity knowing the environment, knowing that it would be received at a key point when it's, there's millions to be saved here. That, and there's, there's credible evidence in a report from Lancaster University. This is worth a look at. So of course, I'm very excited at this point thinking, well, which color Aston Martin shall I get? Um, because this is, this is just gonna be amazing. So he, he was invited down to Brooklands, where they do a lot of the testing, obviously created a slot so they, they'll move things about. And this is where, this is you, as an entrepreneur, as a as an ideas person, whatever you are put into a position 
where you are, you need to make decisions that at the time you may not realize are going to be life-changing it's only when you look back you realize that they were it was a life-changing decision what he should have done he should have managed the expectation of tesco and said i need the vehicle to be sent to my workshop where you feel comfortable where he feels comfortable and i will will fit it test it till we make sure that it's working to how it's been designed and then we'll bring it down to Brooklyn and we'll test it. But in his desire and excitement to please the big corporate who would always say, well, do this, do that, unless you have the confidence to go, well, hold on, no. We want to be, we want, we want to be successful. Because you have a product that you believe in. So when he went down, he'd never fitted his kit to this, this vehicle. And I remember driving home the night he was on the the first day of, of getting it ready and I rang him I was driving home from work I said how's it gone he said I'm just going out to Maplin's and now Maplin's is a it's gone bust as a retailer but it's a, a retailer with lots of electronics and I thought oh no oh no I said what are you doing going to Maplin's well I, I didn't bring certain things and I've got to go and get them and that's somebody who hasn't planned hasn't thought through the potential ramifications or what could transpire and i thought no this isn't going well and what transpired is that they only got between one and two percent savings so it just wasn't significant now he had to live with the fact that his invention that he, he'd invented this thing he had one of the largest retailers in the world giving him the chance to prove that his product that he spent years developing worked. And if it had, if it had worked, I wouldn't be sat here today. And he wouldn't, wherever he sat, be where he is ever today. But at the point of execution, if he didn't succeed, he failed. Now, that is really tough because very few people have an idea very few people then have an idea that's patentable and actually can afford and get it done to patent it even less than get in front of people that can make a decision that changes your life and the success of your product so he's got he's succeeded in so many places and at the last hurdle he's fell flat on his face Despite all those failures, how did you manage to still have the bug to do things, still, you know, get on with things? You have to look at yourself and ask yourself who you are. The one guarantee that there's a fantastic speech by Denzel Washington, which I, I, I put in the book because I share it with every student I ever teach. He said, imagine being on your deathbed and the ghosts of talent and opportunity surround it and saying we came to you but you didn't listen you didn't take the opportunity you didn't use your talent now that when i heard that i'd thought about before i'd heard that i don't want to be on my deathbed and think i wish i had you can say, well, you failed, your business failed. And in its cold light and day, you go, yeah, it did. 
because it's not here anymore. Or you can say, I don't believe in the word failure. Failure doesn't exist. It's just an experience and it's a lesson. It's a learning. And you said before, no entrepreneur, it's, it's incredibly unique for an entrepreneur to succeed on the first business. Now, I've been involved in multiple ones. One, one was successful. Um, but you have to look at your life as a, as a journey. And this is where I've been on a spiritual journey alongside my entrepreneurial journey. How much, your, how much does your spiritual journey help you? Massively. It, it, well, it totally directs my, my life now. So is it important to have some sort of faith in some sort of divine power else you're constantly working hard for what you want to get or what you want to achieve and how ambitious you are because you think about it, you know all the experience that you have had and uh, they definitely make you the person that you are today but all the failures you had throughout the years you tend to realize that your failure made you and how significant was looking back in the past if i did not do that foolish mistake if i would not do that silly thing i wouldn't know so it's better to experience something and fail rather than not trying you know massively so, uh, why open neutralicious i remember a specific moment i do put it in the book and I was stood on on the bridge in Manchester because the, the the shop was going to be on was on number one Dean's Gate where the new it was a new posh building of flats the glass building Gary Neville and all on the, some of the footballers were in there they came into the shop actually and I was stood with my friend one of my best friends and he was an investor in the business as well and I asked him what do you think of this location and when I asked him my stomach just tied up like a knot. and i didn't realize at the time that was mcgutfield saying this is wrong do not do this which i believe that's connected to to your soul that's god going <laughs> i believe i i believe in what you're saying i 100% agree with it and so i was just young probably arrogant never failed at anything really so i just thought i can make this thing work and i i i wasn't as spiritual then as i am now by by a long way and certainly from for the last 15 years or so i've been discovering my faith bearing so leaving tesco was a huge thing i was on seriously good money company car all all the bells and whistles and my partner and i would just been to tenerife on holiday and i'd made the decision before when we went on holiday that i was going to resign and i can never remember my dreams so on the sunday night i prayed to god as a look god <laughs> i said this is such a big decision i'm jumping off the cliff here and i don't know whether i'm going to have a parachute can you please just give me something so crystal clear that when i wake up in the morning i know that i'm doing the right thing it's what you want me to do and literally when i woke up that thing i just saw this image and it was these huge i can see it now these huge chains and a padlock and it just said unleash the chains so i resigned and i there's been many instances where i've 
prayed for spiritual guidance. And I, I honestly believe that we're here. There's a purpose. I've always been, always been really curious. Why am I here on this earth? On this earth? From a very, very young age, twelve or thirteen, I, I had a, this feeling inside that I was meant to do something. I didn't know what, but I was going to do something big. And and that sort of has driven me throughout. Matthew, despite being in business for all of the years and despite doing all of the things that you did, you know, despite being at the higher positions at Tesco, Aldi, Marks and Spencers and all those places, from starting your own businesses, being an entrepreneur for years, do you have this feeling that you did not make it where you want to be? My journey's not finished. I, I, there, is a, there is a future book or even two. What I believe is coming in the future is, is amazing. And that's because I have faith, because I, I believe I know my purpose. I have faith that my journey will continue and it will go in a specific direction. In terms of, of course, your journey is far from over and definitely it's important to have faith. But how important is it to work with that faith? You know, you, you cannot just sit home and expect God to give you everything, can you? Well, you know, you, you've got to do the, the work. I mean, you know, I, I believe I work really hard. And so writing the book, that was in eight weeks time, that was my holidays, weekends. So you're having to, that, that is not, that's not a, a total enjoyable experience. Formatting and editing is not an enjoyable experience, I can tell you. Tell me about Hours, <laughs> hours of, of frustration. Uh, and that's, but that's resilience, isn't it? Is you've got an objective and you're not going to let it stop, even though you're going to get knocked and hit you have an objective and you believe in that objective and because i believe that god wanted me to write that i, I can't i can't start i can't let him down I can't, I can't let me down and i can't let my mum and dad down so i, I, I can't let my partner down I, I think you you've got to have in life you have to have a belief of of, of why you're here and your purpose and you just you can't you can, if you give up what does it say about you? Personally, I think quitting is a very easy habit. You know, and that's what you become throughout your life. You become a quitter and you're like, you find the easy way out. So, of course, that what you're saying is that you don't want to be that person who quits easily and just gives up on everything that they try to build just because it got hard for a moment. I, sh I show a clip to my students because I, I, I really, every lesson I do, I, I try and I get them to get into a positive mindset because positivity is infectious and it's way better feeling positive than negative. I show them a clip of a guy called Nick Vujicic and he's, he's no, he has no arms and no legs. Does and he play football, that guy? He does kick a ball. He, he, he yeah, jumps off a... Uh, he jumps into the pool, he, he's fishing, he's... How, how can I complain about what, what I've got or not achieved? How can I give up if he's not giving up? He's motivating millions of people around the world. He wanted to take his own life when he was seven. He tried it. But he saw something, he believed in something, and his support network gave him... Per he found the purpose, and he's, he's smashing it. How on earth can I 
there, I'm so lucky just being here talking to you. There's millions of people that would swap with you and I right now. And my purpose is to improve the world and improve people's lives. Because I'm in stage three of Carl Jung. I'd, my plans and what I'm trying to do and what I do every day, I do it selfishly because I love when you connect with a student or a group of students and you know that they're getting it, that's selfish because it makes me feel great if I'm engaging and motivating and inspiring them. And you spoke about the importance of a support network. In your life, how important has the role of your partner been? How supportive has she been? It would be impossible to have done what I've done without her. And, and that's, you know, it's as, it's as black and white and simple as that. Um, I always refer to her as a, as a walking angel. She's taken the hits with me and had to help lift me up when I have taken the hits. Because you don't just take the hits and then go, oh, forget it. You, you, there are times when you've gone into, I've gone into very dark places mentally and been very, very depressed. Because when you fail and you expect to succeed, you, I'm really hard on myself. Um, so she's had to live with that, but also help me go again. And she's gone with me because she, she's been involved in, in them as well, all the escapades and the, the things I've done. She's a, a, an amazing person and she's so humble because she, she doesn't realise how many people that she has helped in her life. So, you know, she's a naturally people come to her and she will always be the person that tries and helps and shows huge love and care so i mean i, I can't i can only understate the support and impact that she's had on me and helped me um i think what well, there's a saying isn't that behind every great man there's a great even greater woman so i want to call myself a great man but she certainly is a, a great woman so in your experience what are some of the misconceptions and what are some of the challenges that these young entrepreneurs might face in today's time? I don't, I don't know how much they've changed because I think the same issues arise. You don't know what you don't know. And this is a real challenge for education and for any company. How, how important is it to hire people for or learn that thing that if you don't know something, you don't know and you can't invest your time in it? How important is, is it to get that expert in or learn from that expert that okay i need that skill really important if you can afford it and and this is where obviously education can come in um so i look i did a business degree so i i had the un, the basic fundamentals of certain skills in marketing and, and and concepts and i mean the key thing is understanding profit and loss now um but you still don't know what you don't know i don't know there was maybe a lack of guidance or lack of understanding or lack of... You, you, you need, I mean, this is the thing, is that you need to surround yourself with, with good mentors if you can, which, again, getting access to the mentors is, it, it's not all readily available. Where do you go to get them? And this is where luck and your network can come in. Um, resources are always the challenge for any entrepreneur, and it's the it's dealing with the things that you don't didn't know were going to happen or didn't expect. And this is a lot of an entrepreneur's uh, key skills is being adaptable. And especially when you open, because you can one thing you can guarantee is that your plan, if you've written your business plan, it will not go to plan. 
And it's then how you adapt. Again, if you're not digitally aware, you, you're going to struggle in today's world. For ex- if- yeah, for example, you can now make a video on TikTok or any social media. And if that video goes viral, <laughs> then you can end up selling a product that might not be as good of a quality as a product that's on a proper website, but doesn't have the right marketing. Yeah, I, I, that's that's a huge opportunity as well. But it's like I, in the book, I include a section on ChatGPT because if you if you are not using ChatGPT and other AI like Midjourney and things like that, you are at a serious disadvantage. Results of how easy it is to create a press release, which would take you hours, and it's done in minutes. Uh, it d- produces a buyer persona. And the key thing is, is, is you've got to understand the output in the context it is in, in the business context. If you don't, then you're going to you're at risk of making mistakes. You've got to and understand the limitations. You of have it. to use technology to your advantage, not curse it. Okay, yeah, I understand that AI has all of the negative points that they have, but it is of massive help as well. Massive, huge. Whether you say in the medical field in the future, whether you say cars, books, how we study, how we learn, how we develop resources, how we do our branding, I think it is going going to be huge. It is already huge. I mean, I, I, I was, when I was writing the book, I was down in Cornwall with a, staying at a, fr- a really dear friend and his son has just opened a, um, a, a Shopify shop and he's, he's created his, his logo through AI, he's, is using and it, so the young people are on it, and but you need to be on it because if you're not, you, you, you're going to put yourself at a disadvantage. But do, was, do you think the competition has been higher than it has ever been? If you if you're on any social media and especially TikTok, the amount of people posting saying, "I can show you how to build a business with gets ten thousand pounds a month," which means that they're not getting ten thousand pounds a month. They're trying to they they've reverted to making a video to try and get the ten thousand pounds a month. So. It's not easy because it is so competitive. I mean, if you, I don't know how many number of shops are on Amazon now, which are independent traders, but there's millions of people who previously would never have opened a business because it's so easy to do so. And that has just fractured the market into just millions and millions of different segments. So of course, to compete, and, so, and of course you'll get people who are selling merchandise without actually thinking of the true cost and, the, and they're losing money or even just breaking even. But the customer's going to buy that because that one's way too expensive. They're, they're, they've got a proper business model. So, yeah, it's more competitive than it's ever been. But the fundamentals have never changed. Have you got an idea? Can you build a model to make that idea profitable? And is does the market want it? And how many do want it? And can you actually execute? The, the, the fundamentals don't change. And it, it all that changes is, is really how you sell the products which is obviously digital and potentially the types of products i.e digital through apps etc but there's not it's very rare you see a brand new product that hasn't been done it's just a different version you get these revolutionary ones such as you think take uber which solved the problem that we all had every one of us who, who back back in the day were stressed out that where's the taxi oh it's just around the corner what you're just lying to me and uber just took all that stress away now that was revolutionary but you're still getting a taxi 
<laughs> so it's it's the same function. You're just do, you're yeah. solving. You're taking. You're looking at customer journey. You're saying that stress is not needed, and I'm going to take that away for you. But it's going to cost you. But people want it. But there are many many products that have been tried that seemed like a good idea. Remember the C5 that that Clive Sinclair brought out the little electric buggy. Great idea just didn't work because they didn't want it no one wanted to be seen in it so and, and i think that's where for the students of today or the entrepreneurs of, of, of today is, is do, how do you look at the world and what's inspiring you and and have you got i mean i refer to an entrepreneurial lens many people succeed and start a business so I've, I'm, I'm i own a drive-through car wash and i'm i'm making money i'm surviving i'm making a profit but there's so much in the business, they don't realise what they've got. Because actually, you've got a captive audience for the time that it takes your customers to, to come through it. But Matt, isn't it important for an individual to constantly look at and critique things they can improve or change? Massive. Because in any business or even in this podcast, if I keep doing the same things for years and expecting different results than I am fooling myself. Absolutely. And as a business owner, you have to keep trying new things. You know, my brother, he calls up at 3 a.m. and he would be like, I have this idea and this is how I'm going to shape my business now. Every now and then, every now and then, okay, this is how I'm going to market it. This is what I'm spending on the advertisements. This is what I'm, this is what I need to do to get where I want to. And if it wasn't for my brother, I wouldn't have realized that, okay, I want to do this. I want to make sure that I have something of my own that I can fall back to, that I can rely on and not be working for someone. And, you know, working for someone is great. You learn certain skills, certain types of disciplines that you can instill in your employees who work for you and all of those things. But... I hate the idea of working for someone for 25, 30 years and then realizing I didn't want to do it and (laughs) regret it. That sounds like hell. (laughs) It it does. It does. And there's so many people who have so, so much great potential, but because they have been in an environment for too long, their ideas have been stagnated. Their mentality has been stagnated and they doubt themselves. No one goes... I would rather go home when I have tried and failed. I don't want to go home when I'm just playing it safe. I'll be... I, I can't look in the mirror and be like, I tried, so... I, I, I totally agree with you. but I th- And I think there's a huge opportunity to make it easy for people. So we live in a... a a digital world. We live in a digital world, but we live, we live in the jungle because business is, is, it, it's, it is the jungle. It's the survival of the fittest. Now, does it need to be that way? I don't think it does. I, I believe that, that you're quite right in saying there's so many people who probably would want their own business or have got ideas, but they, 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 they're just the fear is stopping them. And that's that's a massive thing because obviously you, you, if you've got family, you, you've got to look after them. If you keep thinking about the competition, or in your case, you keep thinking about the different authors, the best-selling books, 
you we will never be able to start you have to say to yourself look in the mirror and say okay today i am doing this does it change that one person's perspective and i have had beautiful messages over the years since i have been doing this i think i have been doing it this for two and a half years now i started in feb 2021 because everyone referred to me as this is our student union president this is us. i didn't want to be just recognized by yeah, yeah that's that's ended that's finished i don't want to look back it's a great part of me i enjoyed i gave everything of of me on that table of that position i did it i'm done yeah. refer to me as my work now i don't want to be remembered who i was yesterday yeah exactly i want to be remembered as who i am today yeah yeah and for what i do today and i'm proud of it you i should don't be. I, i don't want to be remembered as who i was in school who i was and and when you know the funny thing is when people seem to think that you're successful then they seem to remember you for that now possibly <laughs> yeah. some of the people who might think i was doing a silly thing uh, they hate to say it but they can't now anymore because they see that i've seen some sort of success in it you're successful they gun then you get criticized um it is a it's a strange mentality i mean again i it, i think it's it's where are you on your journey of life you know it, life is a journey and, and you everyone has their own views of what what the purpose is but for me it's very very clear we've got to find our purpose which is god given and to serve god in and and once we're doing that then things will come together and i think once you if you have this if you have a faith it make everything make it makes sense that's true i i believe uh but in terms of we talk about faith we talk about entrepreneurship we spoke about people's environments what are the non negotiables for you in your business the, the, the key thing is your integrity integrity is everything you you either have it and in in a definition of integrity is doing the right thing when no one else is looking i was about to say that <laughs> i was about to say that i was about to say that even when no one's watching you doing the right thing even when no one's looking and i think because he is looking it, and you but you have to look in the mirror and if you have done the wrong thing when you no can't look in the mirror straight you can't take it back it's done and i i mean you know it's a doggy dog world in business and i think so many people have have lost their integrity in business i mean look at dieselgate who made that decision in these massive car companies to cheat the emissions test when the implications are is that we're all breathing in but there i mean that's that's it's humongous it's I, i mean i i couldn't live with myself if i'd made that decision but that that is there's that's just one of many that you could you could look at so uh, integrity then I, I and so i had a very very good friend he was a bit like a superhero to me he he was he he was someone who could handle himself and would always stand up for the if anyone was being bullied or whatever and he just said be nice just be nice and if you if you're nice and i i we i talk about we talk about it yesterday in in class about being a global citizen and it's the same as being a business person or entrepreneur is you have a responsibility every day you get up 
to be a positive energy in the world. So that means getting up and smiling, positive interactions, and not doing bad. Do good for the world. And so it, the entre- I truly, truly believe we, we are going through a massive change at the moment in the world. And we are going to go into a new era where the entrepreneurs of tomorrow that are successful are the entrepreneurs that put community and the world in its core. And they behave in the right way, but they also share the rewards. And because I don't believe billionaires should exist. Why does anybody need that amount of money? It's it's a number game for them, isn't it? It's, 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 the, it's their measure of winning. That's not... I, it's, it's amazing how the, all the, a lot of the Western countries measure their success as GDP. Well, what about happiness? Because happiness is surely the best thing to achieve. And a reflection of, they say a reflection of your, how good your society is, is how well you look after the, the vulnerable or the weak. And why wouldn't you want to help them? I think, uh, Matt, when it comes to business, you have to sell a product to someone who's losing hair. You have to sell a product to someone who's gaining weight. A slim tea product or a fairness cream in India. Can you believe that? <laughs> no, they people have to target insecurities and make them feel you know, vulnerable. For example, you wouldn't believe the fact that Leave Ethics and Morals, the highest selling product in India, is a fairness cream to make you look fairer and whiter. Yeah, and no, that's true. The, <laughs> wow. <laughs> can you believe that? No, I, I, there's an obsession with being white, with having a white skin for some reason. I, I genuinely, for, for for the life of me, I don't understand it. I genuinely don't. Yeah, most white people want to go on and get a tan. <laughs> I, watched, I don't get it. And end up burning themselves <laughs> up. <laughs> and so you look at business and the products that we buy, and how much is driven by ego compared to how much is driven by love. What do you think about in business? Do you have to be very clear? Sometimes you have to put it out there, even if it's an uncomfortable chart. Like, yeah. even if you have to say, okay, I want this sort of percentage in it, and or I feel that my product is worth this. And you might not feel confident enough, but you still stomp your authority, and you still, not stomping your authority, but you have to ask for what you deserve. I think that in, in, in life, in my career, I won't be walked over. Because... It's who who are you? Who are you? If you if you if you basically cow down and go, oh yeah, you can do whatever. You've got to look in the mirror and go, hold on. Self respect. You got to, you have to have self respect. You got to know your worth. And I will not be walked over. And Matt, people just say it for the sake of it. You need to know your worth, but you actually need to know your worth. You actually need to. Analyze your own journey and see how far you have come. No one can give you that validation if you don't. No, you absolutely. If you if you lack self-esteem or, or confidence, and you and that is communicated in the way that you behave, people will naturally take advantage of you. It's I don't know. I've always come across as confident. I think you know. I I think most people who are confident are, are, are swans paddling under the water like mad at different times, but. 
there's I have I, I don't know where this inner steel. I think it probably comes from a dad who was who's again a very confident individual. So I've I, I sort of I've got to be confident because I, I, I it's just been been built in me. I, I've never been never been scared to challenge. I've never been scared to ask the stupid question in the room. In fact, I'm usually the one that will because I don't care. It's not that I don't care, but I, I really if people want to ridicule me because of what I've said or done, then who are they? You've got to have that, you've got to create a thick skin of going, well, I am who I am. I believe I'm a good person. I try and do good things. So if people say, oh, what a rubbish book. Well, yeah, well, that's your opinion. I don't care. Because I know that someone, I know the value in that book. That There's, there's some key lessons in there that are worth a fortune if you, if you learn them. So I know the value that I put into it. Now, someone go, oh, you're wrong. Well, how can it be wrong? Because it's what I believe. You might disagree, but that's your opinion. You, your belief has to be so strong. It's as simple as that. So your career has spanned both corporate, both the corporate world and the entrepreneurial ventures. What is that one advice, one piece of advice? As we come to the end of the podcast, what is that one piece of advice that you would like to give someone who doesn't have the confidence to start their own business and have the desire to do it, but can't find the motivation, the mentor, the confidence to do it? I think that's a really tough question. If you don't have the motivation, it has to be intrinsic, it has to come within. You know, so Branson written in his autobiography, you know, just do it. Thank you, I think you use some swear words and, and said just you know you, you just start i think if you've got a, a, an idea and you've got something in, inside you the only thing stopping you is fear well why would you let a four letter word and a feeling that you generate you're you're thinking you're fearful it's so you're causing your problem you've been that and you just do it and try it what's the worst that can happen you're not going to die you might be financially worse off in a big way, but you're not going to die. So, and I think that's my, that's been my motto is that feel the fear and do it anyway. I, I won't. So I, I have a bucket. I've had a bucket list. Of th- I, I always wanted to jump out of a plane. I knew I'd be scared to death, and by God, I was. I was. My mate said I looked green physically. I was that <laughs> scared. And when I jumped out of the plane, I think I shut my eyes, and I think I passed out. And then the opened them up when the chute opened and but the that moment of flying was what I did I did it for so even though I I was scared to death I did it because I won't let anything stop me that is literally mental and I'm creating the fear I won't let that stop me experiencing what I want to do because I can't have being on a deathbed with the ghost of opportunity or talent going, if only. You can't. We're only here for a short time. I want to experience as much as I want to do. And why wouldn't you do it? 